you are finding an alibi, another, another alibi. You try to find alibi or an excuse for, for, for the players. Okay, continue, continue to do this, to find excuse for the players. You do only this, you do only this. Excuse for the players. Yeah, but the players, maybe, my, my future, and then okay, they, they, lost, they lost confidence, they lost spirit, they lost to, to be a team. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Try to protect. Try to protect every time and uh, this situation. Ah, come on, come on, come on. We are professional. We, we, we paid, the club paid us a lot of money. The players receive money. Me, receive money. You understand? Not to be, to find excuse and uh, don't have spirit or, or, or don't show the sense of belongings or don't show... Uh, sense of responsibility because we are showing this and for me this is unacceptable for me because this is the first time in my career to see a situation like this and until now I wasn't able to change not to change but compare last season the situation went to become worst why Antonio? why do you think it is like this? Why? Bah, I don't know, because they are used here. They are used here. Don't play for, uh, for, uh, for something important. Yeah. And, uh, they don't play, uh, they don't want to play under pressure. They don't want to play under stress. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's easy in this way. And Tottenham, Tottenham story is this. 20 years that there is the owner and never won something. But why? Only for the, the fault is only for the club or for the every manager that stay uh, here. And uh, I have seen uh, the manager that Tottenham had on the bench. You risk to disrupt the figure of the manager and to protect the other situation in every moment. And now, and now uh, until now, I try to hide the situation. But now, no. Because I repeat, I don't want to see what I have seen today. Because this is unacceptable. Also for the respect for the fans. They follow us, pay the tickets, and to see the team another time, to have this type of performance, for me, I repeat, this is unacceptable. And uh, we have to think a lot. We have to think a lot about, about this. Last one, please, guys. Thank you. Antonio, last week you said that you saw the fire in the eyes of your players again. What, what has changed between now and this game, and how much is it your responsibility to motivate them? I said that I want to see the fire, not that I have seen is different. Right. I said that I want to see the fire into the eyes. I want to see the fire into the heart. I want to see the right spirit, okay? And not only in the training session, into the pitch. Because here you have to make the difference. And I'm not seeing this, and until now, I try to hide the situation. But now, oh, there are 10 games to go, and uh, something, something thinks uh, that we can fight. We can fight for what? With this spirit, with this attitude, with this commitment. For what? For the seventh, hate, place, name, place. I'm not used to this position. I'm really upset. And everybody has to take the responsibility, not only the club, not only the, 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 the manager, the staff. The players to be involved in this situation.
because it's time to change the situation if Tottenham wants to change. If they want to continue in this way, they can, they can change manager, a lot of manager, but the situation cannot change, believe me. Thank you very much. We've made a promise to ourselves to try not to talk about Antonio Conte this week, but he's gone and up the ante on his post-Milan presser and made it impossible to start anywhere else. Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Ciao. <laughs> Ciao, indeed. Yes. Uh, look, we will be discussing the 3-3 draw at St. Mary's with Southampton, and the conversation will likely take a few tangents along the way, but this is Spurs 2023, so we can't really be that surprised, eh? So, look, I mean, anyway, uh, we, we've all heard uh, that four minutes... Uh, of Antonio Conte, or those four minutes of Antonio Conte um, expressing himself. <clears throat> the best way to put it, uh, there is more out there, but that's the gist of and the heart of all the conversations happening with Spurs supporters in the last 48 hours. So, chaps, right in there, what did you make of his comments? Um, well, I th- this is the first time that I'd listened to it, as you just played it now, whilst I was also reading the scripts, essentially from, um, from Football London, and... What really struck me this time from listening to it is it is fully directed at the players. I think it's fueled a lot of fires from people who are already wanted to hear something around the, the ownership of the club. But you know, g- genuinely listening to it, I don't think there's any criticism of the club um, or the ownership of the club. I, I think that is purely about the players and he's really, really thrown them under the bus. There's, there's absolutely no dispute in that. Um, I mean, there's a couple of things in there that he said. It's the, said it's the first time that he's seen this situation. I, I think I'm immediately drawn to that infamous second season at Chelsea where yeah. it felt like much the same actually happened um i mean that's probably something worth worth discussing and he said until i know i hide the situation something that's been festering or been been bothering him for some time with this this current crop of players so um i i think where i am with conte at the moment generally and this and this press conference builds into this is he's not 100 percent of the problem but he's quite clearly zero percent of the solution at the moment i'm not- I think it's interesting that clip we played there. That rant starts after he's asked a question about whether his future or the lack of clarity about his future is a contributing factor to the problems we've got. And then he really ups it. Before that, it's a little bit more measured. And I think what we're seeing there is deflection. I think he's ass covering. Um, I think it's smoke, you know, smoke and mirrors to try and cover up for his underachievement. And you know, when you talk about you know the criticism of the players, and I agree, Gareth. I think it you know was focused all at the players. Yeah, you know, a year ago he said this group of uh, this group of players is fantastic. Honestly, it's one of the best group of players I've worked with in my career. And since then, he's improved the squad. So what's changed? And you know, in terms of you know, you mentioned about his time at Chelsea. I've got a couple of quotes from some of his former clubs. I mean, what I was almost thinking about doing is kind of blanking out the uh, blanking out the names of the clubs and seeing if you could guess where in his career this has come from. <laughs> because, so, I mean, see if any of these sound familiar. So, this is this is at Chelsea in his second season. I don't know if my ambition is shared by the club. It's very important to have a coach and club with the same ambition to improve the team, the quality of the players. If you have this situation, you can win the league, the FA Cup, the Champions League. I have great ambition, but I don't have money to spend for Chelsea. The club knows what my ambitions are. When you decide to work with this type of coach, you take on uh, take on a coach with great ambition, not a loser, a winner. So that was that was at Chelsea in March 2018. Um, this one's from his time at 
enter. This is November 2019. Some important mistakes have been made plan- uh, at the planning stage. We can't play both the Champions League and Serie A with such a small squad. I'm tired of saying the, uh, the same things over and over again. Perhaps they could come over and say something. I hope that this will help them understand a few things. We are talking about players who, uh, apart from Diego Godin, have never won anything. Who do we turn to? Nicola Barella, who came from Calgary, or Sensi, who came from Sassuolo? You know, and that's after he spent, what, 150 million euros in the kind of cha- in the uh, transfer window before that. You know, he's done this everywhere he's been. And this is just him you know, deflecting and blaming everyone else on his way out the door. I've been, um, as you both might imagine, I've been uh, kind of all over the place with these particular set of quotes. Uh, they, they struck me pretty hard. Um, I, I really, first of all, you know, an, an emotional sense. I dislike anybody who drags our club through such turmoil when they're making, well, actually, it doesn't matter whether they're making tuppence an hour but he's making 15 million a year. Shut up and do your job first and foremost. And if you want to look brave, be brave and speak at the time things really are upsetting you, not at the time when you feel that there's no more you can do. So as Milo said, you want to cover your ass. I am I, I am also going to try and be a little fair-minded and say, I do think that even by Conti's standards, this has been an extraordinary year. And I go back once again, and we've beaten this drum many times to the loss of uh, Ventrone, which I think is, is, is incalculably important in all these calculations. And I think that he is all over the place uh, uh, mentally. I think he has been since that point. I think he's probably um, even more unpredictable than rumours of his managerial style have already presented him to be at other clubs. I mean, you hear these comments of players getting texts at two or three in the morning, not our players, I'm saying in the past, saying, you know, hey, that day off, you know, it's not happening anymore. You know, you're coming in in five hours time. So, you know, <clears throat> there's, that has to be said. And I do also, I do want to quote something before we get into the next stage, and, and uh, which is uh, someone from the San Francisco Spurs on our Facebook page, uh, Mark Gable, said something which I thought was really important, and it's, it's something to throw in here. He said, you know, weighing in on the Conte rant here, it's the nature of journalism and fandom, but I'm pretty tired of all the reductive, it's so-and-so's fault that we're getting in the mm. Spurs affair lately. Organisations are complicated. When things aren't working, it's rarely just one thing or one person's fault, and that's true here. You don't have to pick a side. Lots of things can be going wrong at once. And I just thought it was such a wonderfully articulated point. Thank you again, Mark. I hope you don't mind me reading that out without your permission. Um, because that is the epicenter of everything. And that, to me, is what makes his comments here even worse. Yeah, I, mean, so, I, I, think, that, I think that's absolutely right, Steph. And I think one of the things I've observed on online since the comments made yesterday is that a lot of people have managed to kind of take them and bend them to fit their kind of preconceived ideas about it. I think that was the point you were making at the beginning, Gareth, around, you know, around criticism of of the board or the club. You know, I saw some people celebrating it saying, oh, he's going to take, you know, he's showing them what for, he's, you know, he's doing this. But actually he doesn't. He, you know, when he's talking about that, he says, you know, he talks about they're not winning anything for 20 years and says, you know, who, who, you know, who do you blame? The, the, the club or the manager? And then basically says, but it's the players and the players have been a consistent problem. That's the point he's making. Um, but yeah, it does get bended around kind of people's existing positions. It's it's a poorly made point, and I appreciate its semantics, but 20 years is almost exactly the amount of time that Enoch have been in charge. So you can see where people have drawn mm. that together, particularly if it's something that they're, that they're well, looking for. And of course, no but, players have been around for 
20 years yeah. either. So this is where, I'm sorry, he absolutely knows what he's doing. And let's take let's take another element of this into account that everyone is talking about. His, you know, he's shown this explosive passion and everything. I personally think he's been an, a massive coward. That's my take on it. And I would t- I'd say that to his face quite happily. I think, Antonio Conte, you have been a coward in this situation um, because you could have said this earlier. But when you say things like 20 years, this has been in his back pocket for a long time. Don't anybody think he just had a rush of blood to the head and it all came out? He knows what he's saying. Every word is calculated. That is absolutely a dig at, at Levy. And whether you agree or not is a whole other topic. And, you know, there is something to be said along the way, no doubt. We'll get into that. I mean, I, I think you know, there's elements of truth in what he says. You know, I think we could recognise yes. that there are issues, you know, there. And, you know, when you talk about kind of the culture of the club, I think, you know, we'd all agree that, you know, right the way through the club, there's there's elements of the culture that need to change. And we, you know, not everyone's pointing in the same direction. Not everyone's trying to, uh, you know, achieve the same things. There isn't an alignment between the strategy of the club, the director of football, the manager, you know, the transition for you know we invest heavily in the academy but academy players getting through to the first team is really is is tricky you know we don't do a good job of um you know developing you know uh academy players who don't make the first team and then selling them on for profit you know there's there's issues around the club but all of that's true um but in relation to the the first team it's Conte's job the reason we're pay- he's the second highest paid manager in the in the country is because we've brought him in to try and do that cultural change stuff with the players. It was a shortcut, I think, we tried to do, you know, with him and Mourinho, a shortcut to success, and it hasn't worked. But he's effectively saying by by that admission that he can't do the job he was brought into. And that should be a firing offence, you know, let alone throwing the players under a bus. Yeah, I, yeah. I can say he's thrown the players under the bus. I think he's also thrown himself under the bus as well. Um, I, I mean, I can't remember a manager doing that. Since um, you know Nuno, when we lost to Arsenal very heavily in his in his ill-fated period in charge, he made he made some comment about that he had got it wrong, and he, he effectively put himself under the. I mean, I don't think Conte's intended to do that, but everything he said, and I think it might have just alluded to it. Really, he's he's saying things that isn't there. That it's his job to try and put there. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he's actually made a mistake. Some people are saying that he's done this to try and prompt the sack. If he really wants to get the sack, he should go out and criticise Donna Cullen because he'd be gone by the morning. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's that's so true. And and I do want to, before we get into, um, you know, some uh, a couple of the other topics here of losing the dressing room and so on, I think it's really so, so important in this discussion that we have as, as supporters, uh, and you can't say it enough, to separate the long-term problems we have as a football club in terms of aligning that direction off the pitch uh, with on the pitch. There's no doubt that there is there is a problem there and has been for years. It, 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 it's, 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 it's a mess. We can't seem to make our minds up. We blew it in 2019 and we continue to blow it ever since by getting guys in who demand top dollar players and, 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 and don't necessarily get them. And, and, but what I don't, I don't entertain is that that means that he is of, above blame and that what he said is some sort of heroic message to the supporters. We've been following this fucking club for decades. We know the problems he's pointing out. Even even your categories, um, you know, he knows the we we know these problems. We don't need Antonio Conte to point them out. What we need Antonio Conte to do is his job for the last ten games of the season, eleven games. We need him to take responsibility for making these players what he says they're not. And personally, sorry, just one more point. Personally, I thought when he came in, we would have clarity because we're either going to find out if it's Levy under investing. <laughs> 
or if it's the manager's fault. I thought Conte was going to be brave enough to speak up at the first sign of not getting what he wanted. But until the last few, until Christmas, roughly, he's been waffling on in the press about how happy he's been with things and how he feels it's good. So that's that's on him. I mean, I think in terms of support, he's been backed in a way that no manager's been backed in our modern history. And, you know, in terms of, you know, players he didn't want that he's you know been allowed to leave the club on loan. If there's a problem with the mentality of these players, why didn't he identify it and ask for them to be sent out on loan or sold as well? And then in Quite. terms, of, you know, in terms of players who come in, you know, he spent what 150 million. Yeah, you know, he spent a lot of money by by our standards. You know, of course, it's not the same as what you could spend at Chelsea or Man City or what have you. We don't, you know, we don't have that kind of money. We don't have that kind of budget. But by the you know by the the, the standards of the club, he's he's been he's been heavily backed. Um, you know, far more so than more successful managers we've had. And I think the point remains, off the back of what you said, if at any time he was unhappy with what he was getting versus what he signed on for, what he signed the contract for, then he should have spoken then. Because that's the Antonio Conte I expected. Someone who was actually going to say, hey, I'm not getting what I want. I'm off. Unless you do it. Like, really hold it. Instead, he's chosen this moment to do it. Well, I wonder why. So... Yeah, I mean, look, I, I suppose we've sort of covered, did he have a point in anything he said? I mean, we've kind of agreed that, yes, that, you know, that, that some of what he was pointing out was absolutely accurate with regards to congruence. But let's talk about what I, I do want to talk about what he said when he was saying that the players were playing for themselves and, and, and you know, and not as a team and, and basically accused them of, of, of lacking the heart and effort. And he went on like firing the eyes, firing the eyes. At one point, I thought he was the Italian Gerard Butler in 300, the re, you know, the Italian remake. I mean, it's all this like fire and brimstone of the rubbish, which has frankly made Jose Mourinho's exit look civilized. Hmm. You know, uh, so, but I mean, is it, you know, let's, let's pick up what he said about the players. Yeah, I mean, I think important thing to point out is that we can only judge what we see as things like selfishness and what we see on the pitch when they're playing a game. And of course, that probably equates to about 15% of the time that they spend together as a group and with him during the week because the vast majority of things happen on the training ground. So we don't know whether he's referring to anything that he saw specifically within that game or perhaps in the build-up to it or things that have been happening over a number of number of weeks it's very difficult to know what he meant without having wider context is it what, what does he mean by self what does selfish mean to him we we know that he's speaking english as a second language and it may not actually be the word that we would resonate with us as as being selfish um i, I don't know any thoughts on that I don't know. I mean, I think there could be a couple of things. I thought um, Richardson's comments after the uh, Milan game, um, where you know he was quite critical of Conte, and you know said he'd had a shit season. I mean, Conte tried to spin that to you know to say something else. Conte tried to spin it that um, that you know the season had been shit rather, you know, oh, sorry, he'd been shit rather than the season had been shit. But you know, I think Richardson was very clearly criticising Conte. Um, I think that suggests that he's lost at least elements of the dressing room, and. He could be referring to that. He could be referring to players who aren't buying into his methods or are frustrated with his methods. Um, but I think, you know, if he has lost the dressing room or had lost parts of the dressing room, he's lost. He's probably lost more of it now because I just don't think you can do that in public and, and, and carry on working with them. I've seen comments saying that, you know, good, this is what I want my manager to do. I want my manager to keep people constantly on edge and constantly, you know, uh, 
fearful and constantly like you know trying to like meet this standard i you know richarlison criticized him and he criticized him back and he didn't drop him you know he wants that attitude constantly at the club this plays back to something that we've been talking about for some time here which is that that has a very very short thrift that has a Mm. short short lifeline and and i read a comparison saying well you know that's what that's what sir ax ferguson was all about he was mean and he was relentless and it's like you know he he was cold and it's like no Sir Alex Ferguson was not cold. He was a very warm, paternal uh, 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 figure. Now, he was hard, but there's a difference. And I think Antonio seems to be incapable of of, of that second bit, Mm -hmm. the sort of knowing when to modulate that and when to bring it up and when to bring it down. It's all one speed, you know, and if players aren't responding to that mono speed that he has, which is this relentless chaos, um, I, I, I don't know if I can blame them. Is there a football club in the world that responds to that? I mean, can you think of one? Has, has I can't. It's confrontational. Yeah, repeatedly. There hasn't been one in Conte's career because everywhere he's been, it's it's ended like this over a similar kind of timescale. Um, right. You know, he, you know, and I, I think, you know, that kind of intensity, um, you, you can't last that long. You know, I'm sure we've all probably worked with people who are really intense and you know, had everyone on edge, and it you know can work for a short period of time. It can't can't work for longer. You know, kind of my in my long list of um, quotes I had earlier on. This one isn't from Conte. This is from Perlo. But he said, "I can say that Conte is a genius, but like all men who possess genius, he's a little mad." Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it definitely is that way. And I mean, you know, you're going to have people say, "Well, it obviously worked at Chelsea because he won the title." I mean, look, he won the title in a, in, a, in a very, very sparse season for Chelsea, where there was no European football. He also walked into a club that did have man for man a much better squad than the one he walked into with us. He walked into us as a semi project. You know, don't take this club on if you don't, if you know, if you don't want that that project. He won the title there in his first season. You know, our first yeah. season was actually you know his golden spell under us was that actually well, i was gonna say six months it wasn't even six months was it It was about three months really from about this time last year to the end of the season mm. and and that was it um yeah you know his second yeah. season at chelsea was really fractious he won the fa cup but he was falling out with players and uh falling out with the fans and falling out with the board and it was it was a mess and you know that's where we are this season without <laughs> without a cup to show for it yeah it does seem, and so I mean, I, look. I think we're all. I think what we're all saying is that you know it would be really impossible to think that he hasn't lost the dressing room uh, at this point. I, I would suspect that if the dressing room, uh, as I would expect it will, shows professionalism, it will be because those players have pride in themselves. And and by the way, I, I, and we'll get into this in the game, uh, Southampton. I mean, look, <laughs> performance and whatever, as, and, and we will drill it. But I didn't see any. I haven't seen a lack of effort in these players and I haven't seen a lack of spirit what what I have seen I think what we've all discussed uh, and, and and chime in off you know whenever uh you wish is is I just think they've always looked very caught between a rock and a hard place sort of a little worried about making a mistake and like concerned they they just look edgy and you know I mean that's always been what I've seen I've never seen anyone bottle it or hide on the pitch not really and knackered they look knackered yes yeah, yeah. So it's a team that's been micromanaged to within an inch of their life, and we perhaps all work for bosses or mm-hmm. in environments where you are micromanaged, and yeah, it, it catches up on you very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I... Doing, doing a podcast with me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let now listeners into the automations behind the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but that's actually you you know if you were to draw a parallel, that's the beautiful thing about this team is we all work in a different way and we all find a way to work, and that's my one of my big criticisms of Conti is that you know you would expect for that money. 
that he would find a different way to work. Now, bear in mind, I am the one who said that you don't hire a souffle chef and ask him to make omelettes. But if he, as a souffle chef, ever felt he was being forced to make omelettes, we're back to my initial point, which was speak up at that point. He had a perfect opportunity at Christmas to make a civilized exit. Exit then, you get your dignity and your health, and we get to have a crack with a squad and and playing the quote-unquote Tottenham way. It would have been the time, but he didn't. I wonder why. I think if there is, you know, if you go back to those cultural issues, though, if there really is a cultural issue uh, on the playing side of the club that needs addressing, and I think, there's, you know, I think there probably is, um, then he could have done that in a constructive way over a longer period of time, and he could have spoken yeah. about that. Could have spoken about that publicly. He said, you know, as well as refreshing the squad, we need to change the culture of this club to make, you know, to make winning something that we expect and 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 you know we, you know, we we all want and you know and we. we call on each other to do you know you could have talked about that kind of stuff which would be a positive way of presenting it and pull people with him but he yes. hasn't done that and what he's done <laughs> is he's done he's you know he's done chucked a couple of hand grenades in as he you know it's the last game before the international break and we we're talking before we came on you know he, he's done that press conference he probably jumped in his car went to the airport and he's, he's jumped on the flight back to italy and <laughs> you know see you later guys pull a pin out and chuck it over his shoulder as he's going yeah, you're absolutely right. It, and again, it's the, I think it's the lazy coward's way out. What, what would it have taken for him to have constructed a monologue that said, you know, I am at the, you know, this club, the first club to do the double in history, the first British club to win a European trophy, Champions League final 2019. It, it's done so much but it needs to learn to do it on a regular basis. And we all need to assume that. We need Daniel Levy to assume that. We need the players to assume that. I need to make sure I assume it. And by the way, how about speaking about us mm. instead of them? That would also be helpful. Mm. So I completely agree with you, Milo. It was, it, was such a, it was such a lazy, cheap shot designed just to cover his own ass. And I'm sorry, I, I don't accept that, you know, well, he's entitled to be frustrated. <laughs> You're entitled to be frustrated when you're out of that job, but while you're in it, you have a, a responsibility to that job and to and and, and to the club and, and to you know what it means. And you know, and you can't really talk about winning mentality when you've thrown three cup competitions this season against you know beatable teams. Yeah, you know, with barely a whimper. You know, any of those, yeah. we you barely put a fight up in any of them. Yeah, and I mean, he did claim that Sheffield United, he went on uh, earlier in one of those rants, he was talking about, you know, we, we, we somehow the players managed to knock themselves out against Sheffield United. Well, look, I mean, again, if you're not starting your your star striker and several other players, you're probably not, sh- you know, you're, you're showing that it may not be as important to you. Whichever way you slice it, it's so inconsistent. And it all the only consistency in what he said leads to one thing, he's covering his own ass in the way that he has historically done it. Um, and again, I, I can't believe that he is looking more undignified near the end here than ever Jose Mourinho was with us. It's, it's, it's astounding. I never thought I'd hear myself say that or believe it. But I mean, I will say, Milo, you did predict this ending when he first came in. I mean, you, you, I mean, you could be drumming your fingers and saying, well, he's going to explode at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But uh, I just hope we well, don't give him when he when he's finally sacked. We don't give him a couple of hours to walk around uh, the training ground, telling each of the players that the club's shit and they should leave. You know, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, it's Milo predicted. I think we all could have predicted it. And I mean, this is very much he's made this very much about him. And I think it's quite right that we're discussing this specifically about about his role in it. But 
I suppose the, the you know the bigger question, and this is something that all our listeners can, can just dwell on, is that we all knew this was going to happen. There are people paid a hell of a lot of money to make big decisions at our football club about the managers they get in, and it really, really should have been obvious to them that this was going to happen as well. And maybe they think that if, by getting into the Champions League last season and being on the cusp of it this year is the payoff for that, but but who knows? But that, that's probably that's something that we will discuss another time. I know, but I've got it's, a, it's a pretty unedifying moment. I've got a positive suggestion, Steph, if we want to try and stop this kind of thing happening again and he's around for the next 10 games. I think maybe after every game they ought to make him do 20 sprints of the pitch, length of the pitch, before he's allowed to go in and do a press conference. <laughs> That's a blinding one, isn't it? That'd be great, wouldn't it? Okay. <laughs> you know, what's good, good for the indeed. goose and all that? Yeah, yeah, very good indeed. I like that. Um, and yeah, look, as you said, Gareth, there are, you know, we've said this, Many times, and uh, and we'll say it again, there are things to discuss. There are issues with the way our board operates with relation to the football operations at the club. And, and those are going to be subject of a much larger discussion. But in this particular moment, I think, unlike your phrase, uh, unedifying, it is outrageously unedifying and, 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 you know, utterly disrespectful, in my opinion. So uh, I guess the final question before we move on to... Uh, St Mary's is this the end um, is this I, it yeah I I don't know that it should have been I missed some yesterday it seems pays obvious and you read those comments again and you think about all the damage that would have done to squad harmony and you can't imagine that he's possi- possibly going to be in the dugout for our next game at Everton in what 14 15 days time um, but I, I think there probably is some something in this maybe you do just stew over it overnight and if the if the club's ambition is to finish fourth this season which I think it's patently clear is the club's ambition to finish fourth if they think the best way to achieve that is to stick with the current manager where players who whether they like it or not understand the systems and the shape and the tactics that he's going to play then if that's their aim for the rest of the season then maybe the best thing to do is to leave him in charge I, I don't but I can see that there may well be a case for that and it may not be quite as clear cut as we've all thought it's going to be over the last 24 hours so reports on Sunday afternoon suggested that he'd spoken to Levy yesterday and explained so yesterday evening explained that it was aimed at the players not a criticism of the club and that Levy's accepted this and the plan is to plow on you know carry on plowing until the end of the season and then and then it, it, it comes to an end then. He's replaced then. My word. Last weekend, he threw the fans under the bus to an extent. <clears throat> this weekend, he's thrown the players uh, and uh, under the bus fully and the board very lightly. Uh, maybe uh, we've just got to wait and see if the third speech he's got planned to drop five games from the end when, you know, he, he, it, it may not be happening. Uh, maybe that is the moment. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it's going to take, but... Criticising Donna, yes. I told you. Yeah, you did tell us, and and and, and you did indeed. And uh, you know, I guess uh, this uh, this decision largely. Uh, well, I mean, we don't even know, do we? Because we don't know how much control Paratici has in relation to Daniel. I mean, we think as a director of football, he should have total control. Uh, that's what Daniel brought him in for. But at this point, I'm not sure. And this is part of the greater discussion that we do and need to have and will have as a pod and as a fan base uh, at the at the end of the season. But I think for now, we would all agree that if he didn't like, you know, he didn't come back and take charge of the Everton game. Uh, we'd be we'd be okay with that i will throw this one final question in would you be okay with that knowing that ryan mason was going to caretake for the rest of the season or would you like to see uh would you like them to have you know 
firmed up someone that's actually going to come in on a, on I mean, a basis. I, th- I think um, their reluctance to let him go now might, you know, might suggest that they're looking to bring in someone who's currently in work, you know, currently at another club. Um, you would have thought with, you know, if Pochettino was an option and he's out of work or, you know, Enrique or you know, Gallardo or the others, you know, all out of work, um, they could come in now. Like you said, you know, Mason's there. Um, I mean, I, I personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against Mason till the end of the season because we wouldn't have this circus and all this crap. And, um, you know, I listened to him on the, on the high performance podcast this, this week. And, you know, he talks a lot about the, you know, the, the brain injury and, and everything else, but he, he's very, very impressive. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the various managers he's, he's played under. And I think he comes across very well. He'd need support, you know, he'd need the right people around him and, and everything. But, you know, he's, you know, he stepped up with Stellini when Conte was off sick. And, you know, by all accounts, I don't know how much you can trust them, but by all accounts did well and the players were impressed with his sessions. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, mm. I, I wouldn't be against that. I'd- I would, I would be nervous for him to put him in there because you, you think any manager that's going to take over is going to get us playing on the front foot and they're probably going to want us doing the things we don't. And the squad just aren't conditioned to do that. And I'd worry for Mason that he would maybe fall somewhere in that halfway house of, of trying to keep playing as we are because he knows that's how the players are conditioned to play. Um, and he may fall right. somewhere short. And I, I think it would be a scar on his I'd, reputation if that happened. If we had a really bad end to the season, uh, maybe, you know, and ended up finishing as low as seventh under his watch. I, I think he'd have to do exactly that. I think he'd have to play as we are playing now because there isn't really time to change it. And But just without the bullshit the aggro and the bullshit yeah i mean i think now we should move into the st mary's uh section of the pod because we can actually you know take a look at uh how conti handled the game as a manager and then how we as a team handled it uh, i i don't know if, before we get into the team selection i just wanted to suggest can we, can we look at it as in both halves first and second half is that is that okay with everyone yeah yep great let's do that um so let, i mean let's just overall look at the team selection um milo kick us off it was unchanged from last time. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> there was, yeah, there was no reason to change it from last week. There was no one back available from, from an injury, um, apart from Emerson Royale. But then we know that Porro was probably one of our better players. So that was a no-brainer. There was never really going to be any changes to the, to the no. side from last week. So no, no surprises no. from me. There wasn't. And let's look at this first half. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Let's, I mean, how do we... How, you know, <laughs> I find myself it, laughing it, when I say, it, how did he play first half? It was the same as pretty much every first half we've had this season. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was, a, yeah. it was a bit cagey. We didn't really do much. And, you know, the the highlight was kind of the last kick of the half. You know, nice goal from Faporo. He took it really well. Yeah, I, I, I haven't got a great deal to add on that first half. I was listening to it. I was reliant on radio commentary and the game was described as being turgid. And Spurs having slightly the better of it, but a, but a turgid game of football. And that really, in, in hearing that, I could see pretty much every first half that we've played this season. Well, I mean, allow you, allow me to bring you into my headspace in that first 45 minutes, because I, I found myself wandering all over the place uh, simply for the complete and utter lack of action. Um, that was taking place. I was pondering the fact that for 20 years of my using them, Kiehl's makes the best moisturizers for men. Uh, that was one thought that came into my mind around the 15th, 16th minute. 
I, I, I then I said, I realize, are we more turgid since I realise Conte is done? Like, my, is my emotional reaction to these turgid first halves now tainted further by the knowledge that this man clearly has no, you know, no desire to be here for, for any longer than the end of the season? I mean, have we always been this stodgy? Are my prior yes. feelings of controlling games being revealed as tinted Optivision? I mean, am I guilty of maybe making excuses for it? because I believed in him and now I know he doesn't believe in us, that I'm like, yes. wow, this really is... Okay, that, that's yeah, it's good been to exa- know. It's been, it's been exactly like that all season. It's just previously you thought that there, we were, there was a path, we were going somewhere, there was a method to it, but actually, no, we've just been really dull all season. That's good. And then my yeah. final... My final um, I know everyone loves a metaphor uh, on this pod, and I found myself amidst one of my more tragic ones, which I've since realised the comedian called Jim Jeffries has used before, which I did not know. I felt this is completely original. I just was watching this. I'm like, Christ, this is just like one big Coke wank. It's like a laborious, like tug, 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 and nothing really happening. It's like, da, 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 da. But what, what, where are we going? And I'm looking at these players and I'm thinking, dearie me, that team deserves to be deployed in a way that they can be truer to themselves, surely. And like, I, 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 you know, and that, that those I, are all thoughts I was I, having, and this was I, right before. And then Poro like hammered one in after after a great automation. So you know, I, I think it's more like Brewer's Droop, Steph. <laughs> yeah, there we're, you we're, go. Trying to, we're, we're trying to thumb one in. That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, to, to your point, the first half ended, you know, with that, you know, delightful um, pass from Sunny, really great ball. Uh, Poro found himself in acres of space, but uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tidy finish, and you know, we set ourselves up for what we think, at, well, what anyone would assume should be, you know, a comfortable curve of of pure ascendance in the second half. We're playing the bottom team in the league, and we've just broken them right before half time, you know. And so you think, ah, oh, we come out, maybe get an early goal in the second half, but it didn't quite work that way, did it? No, no. I mean, they scored. <laughs> Was it two minutes into the half? Less than that. It was inside. It was about forty-five seconds. Right, and um, so Dyer gave away a free kick, didn't he? Hoybier is kind of dawdling back once the free kick's taken, and then you got that pass cutting straight in between Perisic and uh, and Longley, and and they're away, and it, you know it's it was so easy to play against two passes, and they're they're they've got a shot on goal. It, it you know ought to be harder, and yeah, just appalling. And then what happens is again what we've seen happen so many times this season is that we shrink into ourselves and become passive. And, you know, we've talked to, talked a lot about how the players don't seem to be able to correct things on the pitch, don't be able, you know, can't seem to turn things around when they're going badly. And maybe this is partly what Conte was getting at, but it's his job to do it. And, you know, if it's, if there's a, you know, if there's a problem with that, you can, you, you can create breaks in place so you can get to the players and talk to them and give them instruction and tell them what to do. But there's no change. He seems quite happy with this you know, passivity. But that's a question I have for both of you. Is, and I, I, I'm still not quite sure where I sit on this question. So I, I, I really appreciate your, your feedback. It's like, is this – I always, automations are stated in the sense of everyone knows what they're doing all the time. You know, I was, I was talking to – you know, to my, uh, Johnny and I were talking about this last night. And he said, yes, but he said, you know, players are also charged with the duty to sort of create their own problem-solving solutions – on the pitch, which I also agree with. I agree with that. You know, these are highly paid professionals and they're very capable. We've got a World Cup winner out there. We've got like, you know, heavily capped internationals. But at what point, and, and I, this is genuinely something I can't fathom, at what point does an automation get in the way of what you would call spot solving? 
or you know uh, like sort of like making it work you know are you so f- afraid to break your system well, that you the, the, suppress yourself even though you know hey if i did this it might be slightly outside the automation but it will it will get us going the, the automations are primarily about progressing the ball upfield so it's when we're playing out so when we're you know a defensive shape isn't an automation when we're dropping back and and you know falling into space there that's not an automation it's how we play play out through that um but again, we're you know we're so easy to play against. You know, you've got you effectively drop back into a, a five four one, and Decky and Son become auxiliary fullbacks, and Kane is the only person forward, and Kane doesn't have the pace anymore to to break a line. So teams can attack or get forwards in numbers because they know that we can't damage them on on the break unless unless we're playing out through the lines and getting upfield if it's if it's long balls and we played a lot of long balls in this game we're not really a threat yeah. no i mean the, the the tactics for me are totally reductive so what he's trying to do it seems every game it's just to eliminate the first half as a contest whatsoever so you're only playing in the second 45 minutes and even then it feels like he's trying to reduce it within that and in fact that's a microcosm of the whole season it feels like the whole season has been set up so we can go into the last 11 games of the season with absolutely no midweek or cup distractions so that we've we're playing in these sort of perfect conditions for Conte ball and still not achieving with it um but yeah defensively it's far too easy to play against us so yeah the, i thought the whole idea behind everything that conte is trying to do is that yeah you can sit deep um and you can withstand some pressure to win the ball back to then progress it and we, we still can't do that you know if you look at the stats for the game so i mean xg you know this is the bottom team southampton 2.52 us 1.88 <laughs> shots on target southampton seven us three so you look at this one's interesting. So pa- accurate passes. So Southampton, 85% uh, pass success rate. So 385 passes. We've got 376 at 84%. So not a huge difference between the two. Southampton passes in their own half, 139, us 231. Passes in the opposite opposition half, Southampton 246, us 145. So we're passing, yeah, we're not getting forward, not threatening. It's not even as if we're playing a team that's sitting deep and we're passing across the box and trying to find a way through. We're not. We're pissing about with the ball somewhere where we can't do anything with it, looking for an opportunity to hit them on the break and not finding it. And we know what happens. Teams sit in their defensive shape and they're not going to be stupid enough to get drawn onto us now. No. That wasn't alcohol, sadly. Um, but uh, what I, I do want to add to this as well with the automations, look, you're, you're so reliant on, on, on very specific players to play these. Now, you look at I, – I, I, I sympathise with Conti to an extent because you're sitting there and you're looking at a second half or your left side is, is Perisic and, 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 uh, and Longley. But I then don't sympathise when you don't – you you don't consider that and it's not like it's the first time he's seen this you don't consider that and you don't think well you know i might need to actually find another way of progressing the ball because i don't have the a-list players and that daniel levy whatever you want to say about levy didn't give him this okay fine that's for another day what about now what about this moment where you have to do your job I mean, I think actually on this, on the left-hand side there, you can't say that. You know, Longley's a player he wanted when he was at Inter. Perisic was definitely his player. And, we, you know, he's being paid a fortune to play here. You know, they, these are his A-list he's worked players. With him at Inter. A great point. Yeah, you good know, point. 
Yeah. These are his A-list players. And, I mean, I, I think he made a mistake. I would have brought Emerson Royal on on for um, yeah, we both, yeah. for Davis rather than, than Perisic because Perisic has been so poor. And I thought, you know, Royal's in, 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 in good form. I think um, him and Son aren't going to get in each other's way uh, on that left-hand side. And it would have given us a bit of defensive, um, uh, you know, shape and you know, uh, uh, fortitude. Well, he also you has know, an I, engine. Absolutely, but yeah. I, I don't think Southampton score that first goal if Royals on the pitch rather than Perisic. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. So, for a bit more context, Southampton they were objectively the worst home team in the Premier League this season. And Milo, I know you've got some stats slightly beneath the surface that maybe say they've been a bit unfortunate. But anyway, they had the worst home form in the league going into that game. In their last seven home Premier League games, they'd scored just two goals. They haven't scored three goals in a game at home all season. They lost to Grimsby in the FA Cup at the start of the month as well. And both their centre-halves went off injured inside the first half hour. And we only managed to get three shots on target in the game. I mean, that, for me, to read that back and the fact sorry I've forgotten this was another bullet point um, we had a free midweek this is supposed to be the perfect conditions for Conte that you've got a free midweek Southampton played Wednesday night they had a tough game against Brentford where they would have gone a full 90 minutes this is I'm going to lose half of North America here because I'm going to give a cricket analogy but this is like going into bat on a warm day with no overhead um, conditions no wind playing against an old ball against some tired mid-pace bowlers and we still didn't get the job done. And that, for me, it's saying it, that's almost a sackable offence not to have gone through to that. I was saying to you guys on the WhatsApp chat in the, in, the, in the week that, for me, par for this game was winning that game by a couple of goals comfortably. So if it had finished at 3-1, as it, finished, as it was in the 75th minute, that, for me, was par. The bare minimum was getting a result and winning the game. Anything below that was an abject failure. And this isn't something that's happened in isolation either. No, absolutely not. I mean, if you think back to last weekend's game against Forest, where we were 3-0 up, so not dissimilar circumstances. Yeah. You know, they got one back. Um, you know, they had the penalty uh, late on, which, you know, again, similar to this. You know, if, if they'd scored that penalty, then they would have thrown everything at us. and It could have easily ended up 3-all. And, and, you know, not dissimilar again, where the team tired as it went as we went on and we were dropping back and dropping back and dropping back and mistakes are creeping in so this isn't new this is something we've seen before and we've seen before against similar caliber sides little creep of optimism in here for a second at least all of our shots on target went in the back of the net yeah just let that sit there for a minute. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, we 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 then uh, we then concede another pretty soft goal. Um, and I have uh, look in uh, full disclosure here. I haven't watched it back, uh, but I do remember uh, Kane and Dyer standing on the line, and Theo Walcott like four yards out with nobody close to him tapping it home. I'm not sure how that worked, and I would need to look at it again. And I'm sure we can point fingers and bubbly bubbly bar, but whatever. We concede a soft goal, not for the first time this season, obviously. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I did watch it back. So you, no, you're absolutely right. There's, um, it, it actually comes from a corner. We don't clear our lines properly, and then they come, they come back at us again. One pass, and there, and um, uh, acres of space where Perisic should be. Um, the cross goes across the goal, and there's a header back into the middle. You're right. As soon as the head, as soon as the cross goes across, Dyer drops back onto the goal line, and Walcott is where Dyer should be, and. Uh, and he's got acres of space. Romero tries to make a covering challenge, but he doesn't, can't get there. So yeah, appalling, appalling. And, you know, again, when we talk about Conte, Conte teams are meant to be good defensively. This is what he's meant to be drilling into them as well as, you know, the automations. This is what he's meant to be drilling into them. Right. And he so, hasn't. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so at 3-2, we're all thinking, okay, this is getting a little more uncomfortable than we would feel uh, happy with. Uh, Conti makes some changes uh, that that we think perhaps, um, you know, retrospect, maybe you leave Kulisevsky on. But I don't think anybody would complain about Papsar coming on. Um and look, we get to this fight, you know, it looks like we're going to tough it out or whatever, in which case I don't think that the pod has taken the direction it's taken this week. I don't think Conti says anything. I think he keeps his, his quote unquote truth bomb in his back pocket for another week when he wants, you know, when he needs to spend it uh, for extra ass coverage. Uh, but, you know, we do have this this bizarre penalty. And I think it's, it's I think in order to evaluate this penalty, we do also have to look at Aisley Maitland-Niles' other penalty uh, incident which was uh, and I believe it was him when uh, he was nearly called for a handball uh, against us and the hands went up it was close to his body and you know and but his hands did move up uh, and the ball did hit them and uh, you know uh, look. Oh, no one no one appealed for that though did they I think no um, I mean uh, but um, but uh, but I mean if you're going to give I mean I, I mean first of all I mean do we think that I mean I mean we've all watched this several times over I mean do we think that there was any contact at all I mean I, I'll go I'll I'll go out here and say I I didn't see any I thought Maitland Niles like flew through the air I, was, I think yeah. I think there might I think there might have been a little at the end um but I think he's going down before for that probably um i thought it was 50 50 i don't you know sar can't see him coming there they're both trying to hook at a ball that's in the air i I thought it was a bit of a an odd decision by by the ref and um i I was surprised to see it given because it looked like just the kind of challenge that you see numerous times in a game i don't know gareth you know a lot more about this than me what what was your view of it Again, it's all about angles and and having a split second to make a decision. And I can understand for his non-field from his position why he thought it was. I thought it was a really strange action by Saar to swing mm-hmm. for the ball and get absolutely nowhere near it. And then you see a Southampton player coming across him who then goes to ground. So I understand exactly why the referee thinks at that moment that it's a penalty. I suppose this brings into the question about, well, what's VAR actually there for? I wonder whether they'd packed off and logged off so they could watch the watch the Six Nations that were starting at five o'clock. But um, it was, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's just it just wasn't a penalty. But I suppose my, my bigger issue is why are we involved in a situation in a game where we're playing yes. against Southampton with all those stats where we're Correct. now relying on a flip of a coin decision in the I, 90th I, minute? I don't think that can be understated. And I think that's very, very true. But I do just want to ask this and uh, of both of you, because uh, the whole that what you said about uh, VAR and, and, you know, what their action was there and why they didn't point you know even bring the ref over to to the monitor i I mean i genuinely don't understand and maybe one of you can explain it to me because Stuart atwell was in a very similar situation as this where he gave a red card and someone dragged him over to the monitor in the end and said you might want to look at this again uh and 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 he corrected his own mistake why was this referee not given a chance to correct a a mistake that he'd made i'll happily explain that because it's down to where the bar is where the threshold is for var to intervene and the you know, the the idea is that VAR doesn't reofficiate the game, and that the on-field ref is you know kind of primacy is that it's their game to ref. So when VAR's looking at that, they're looking at whether the decision that the ref made could be seen as reasonable. And if they they think that Sars foot makes contact with him, then it's a reasonable decision, as Gareth explained. You know, from certain angles, you know, a split second decision, you, you, you know, it could be reasonable. That they're not saying it's the right decision. They're not saying on the balance of probabilities they got it right. They're saying is it reasonable? That's that's the bar. 
and which is why you've got this really strange situation where refs make soft decisions and they don't get overturned because so, the bar's so in the wrong place. So we're essentially looking at each referee having their own bar for that game. Are we saying this referee had established a bar? Because I, again, I go back to the Atwell, and look, I'm not, I'm not arguing. Well, I'm, I'm really trying to understand because we look back at the Atwell decision where the, 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 there's the a subjective. clear case of hands on the face, but and it was then. Uh, and I think but, we'd but all it's, agree it's subjective. There's no, there's no right or wrong or black and white on this. You know, different refs will view things differently, and that's true of our ref as it is a, a, on field. But you know, the bar here is, you know, could his decision be reasonable? And if they think that. Saar touched Nate, uh, Nate Lamar's as he goes through, and I think he, he possibly did, um, then the, re- the, the ref's decision could be reasonable. It doesn't mean it's right. I think the ref got it wrong, but mm. that's what VAR's looking at. And mm. that, that's, you know, people think about VAR as, you know, it's there as a kind of second ref, and it's not. And that's probably where we've got it wrong. Well, I, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I, uh, it, I, again, it, I'm still, I still you know, can't what, pretend I fully understand it in I mean, relation to the Atwell thing, but, you know, it doesn't, but let's not get lost but, too but they're, different, they're different decisions and it's subjective. They're not objective decisions, no. they're subjective decisions. Yeah. That's why you and get differences. Is, and all you can look at is consistency within a game. But I think, you know, what I'm saying here is that I think the decision was wrong, but the, but the original on-field decision was wrong. VAR probably followed the guidance right, although the outcome was wrong. Uh, am I trying to have yeah. it always there? <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, was... and again, we're all trying to make sense of it. And, you know, I go back to the fact, well, you know, nobody protested for the handball, but he did touch the ball with his hands in the box. I mean, as you said, it's all subjective. And, yeah, I mean, I think we'd all agree but, that that but wasn't a penalty, but, but I think but, we'd also all agree but, that. But actually, if you look at the consistency there in terms of VAR with a handball, it didn't overturn the on-field referee's decision again. So what they're doing is they're saying, is what the, you know, the on-field ref has decided, is that reasonable? You know, is it is it a reasonable decision? And they've not overturned it because they don't want mm. to reofficiate the game um, you know, from 200 miles away or wherever it is. Oh, but, you know, that's, that's one of those and, days where I wish that we didn't have them at all because it didn't, you know, in that respect. Because, uh, but anyway, look, I, I think we're both, I think what we're all agreeing with is that, it, you know, to our eyes and, and our eyes, watching several speeds and several angles it wasn't a penalty but i think gareth you've made the major point here um which is that you know <laughs> we're, we're playing the bottom team in the league we're comfortably ahead at three goals to one um you know in the 75th minute and here we are quibbling over this last minute decision which loses us two very very important points and a weekend where we really really we really could have put a, a little bit of a statement out there. Uh, instead, the statement we we made was not quite the one we wanted to make. No, so, really, yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I you know, and I, I love this. I love this penultimate uh, um, question we have here in our notes. <laughs> I'll say it in an American accent because it just sounds like such an American thing. What is the problem with this team? God damn it! Like, what's wrong with these Hotspurs, man? I, I don't understand. They go three one up and. Then they kind of fanny about. What's the problem with these guys? <laughs> yeah. Well, we've found a new way of disappointing the supporters and, and, and getting a result that we shouldn't have got. This isn't something, this isn't um, sort of endemic problem with Spurs that they can't hold on to a lead. The problem this year often has been that we concede first and then can't find our way back into it. So oh, it's quite novel, I, I guess, in some cases that we're finding new ways to disappoint. You'd again, you'd expect these are the perfect conditions for a Conte system. You get two goals ahead with 15 minutes to go, and in likelihood, in all likelihood, you probably end up extending that lead. Um, so again, this, is, this isn't a consistent issue that we can't hold on to two goal leads. Um, what's the problem with it? The, 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 the general problem is they're just far too 
passive. So they're far too reliant on A, not making mistakes or A, not crucial decisions going against you or or, or C, not someone doing any, anything spectacular or scoring a goal an absolute worldie out of nothing. It's all back foot. It's all um, being very, very reactive to situations. That is the common thing that's going on here is that they're, they're, they're just there to react to situations. They're not there to be on the front foot. I agree with that. I mean, this is an exhaustive list, but I'd say some of the players aren't good enough. They look out of condition and unfit and knackered. Um, the team collectively is off form. Everyone has gone backwards this season. So even players who looked good last year or the run-in last year have gone backwards. Yep, three for um, three. The tactics are, neg- are negative. Yep. Um, substitutions are too late and negative. Yep. Conte's used the squad badly. The players who are outside yep. the squad aren't aren't up to speed, aren't match fit, aren't in confident, aren't confident. Yep. Um, we're over reliant on Harry Kane and and Sung Hyung Min. Sun is massively off form. Yep. The change in tactics between Sun and Kane to play Sun further uh, deeper and Kane further forward has completely fucked Sun's game, and means that we're reliant on one player for goals. Yep. Um, we're predictable, yep. um, easy to play against. Yep. We've been sussed out. You can stifle us yep. easily. If you score yep. against us, then we're going to be on the back foot. Yeah, I yep. could go on and on and on and on and on. Um, but I think half of those go back on the manager. What an exhaustive list and how accurate it is and how sad it is that accurate and how sad that you said you'd go on and on and on because I have no doubt that you could. Um, I will I will add my... my that was off my the top of my head. I hadn't prepared that. <laughs> <laughs> Very well done, that, actually. It was good. Yeah, I mean, I, just to throw this into that mix because, uh, you know, repetition is unnecessary. You've both said this very, very well. But I do think as well, I, just the whole... These players just look scared sometimes. And I, and I don't know why they should be looking at themselves and thinking, you know, we're a superior outfit we're a superior side to, to well superior to most sides they meet and especially better than Southampton yesterday mm-hmm. as you pointed out Gareth there are two centre-halves gone I mean you know you should be absolutely hammering them Harry Kane should be Harry Kane should be uh, you know pushing Holland off the back of that game alone we should be creating uh, to, you know chances to give instead mm-hmm. the caution the fear the you know uh, uh, and this playing of the first half um, the, the which I sounded very European the way I said this playing of the first half I do not understand uh, you know I don't understand I don't get it it's it's a, a, that does come down to the manager for me I mean it does you can make someone feel great with positive reinforcement doesn't mean you have to you know be weak or soft you can still criticize but you can also do that with positive reinforcement and I just wonder. Under this man, the way he seems to operate, if we truly, truly positively reinforce what these players can do, because we're so fucking busy hearing about what they don't do and what they can't do. And and that that in the end is as reductive on the human being as anything. And we all know that. That's a that's a massive problem, and I think that's maybe one of the biggest issues with this with this team. Yeah, I think you say positive, and I think that for me is a really key word. I don't know how helpful this 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 is to point out, but we watched Newcastle at Nottingham Forest on Friday night, and they were up against it for a while. They had an absolutely scandalous decision go against them. You know, I mean, Newcastle should have gone two one ahead. I, I don't understand that offside that went against them, and. 
they just kept going and kept going and kept going because they were positive. They were on the front foot. They thought, do you know what? We're much better than Nottingham Forest here. If we have enough of the ball, we're going to create a chance eventually and we're going to score at least one from it. They kept going and they won themselves a penalty in, in stoppage time and they, they won the game. And I think it is relevant to compare Newcastle because they're breathing down our necks again now and it's a good chance it's going to come down to us or them. But just that difference in approach and Forest and Southampton aren't two dissimilarly matched sides as well. There's they're probably fairly average you know, levels. They've got a similar level of ability. And just it was palpable, the difference in the way that Newcastle approached that game. They went to win it. We went not to lose it. Yeah, And Newcastle are better than the sum of their parts and we're worse than the sum of our parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. We're going to be playing them in a few weeks. And, you know, if, if you're putting your money on who's going to win that game, given the approach that will be taken. But then you think, why not tell, like... Dejan Kulisevsky, what what an outstanding talent he is. Why not? Why not? You know, make sure you let these players know what they can be instead of berating them for what you think they're not. Um, I, yeah, it's just really is. And by the way, I just have to say, when I said, uh, you know, what is the problem? My American accent. Uh, uh, it's such a brilliant phrase. What is the problem? What's your problem? It's a great. It's one of the great American phrases. And the other great American phrase I love is the simple motherfucker. Nobody's. That's just one of the greatest uh, curse words ever. So anyway, I swore that I said that quite a lot actually in the last uh, ten minutes of, uh, of of the game. I have to say, um, I, was, you know. I was I was purely Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I, I, yes, I was. I was uh, bilingual at that point. Actually, I have to say, <laughs> there's all sorts flying out. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, well, uh, I suppose we we must we must stick to our automation, and we must conclude with a, a closing thought of one positive and one negative in thirty seconds. Uh, but you know, let's be a little liberal tonight. I mean, <laughs> go where you need to go with this. So my positive is, I thought Decky was a bit better than he's been the last few uh, last few weeks when he came on. I, you know, he created, created two good chances. The crosses were getting in. I thought he was okay, um, at least going forwards. Negative, we've handed away the initiative again. With Man United not playing this weekend, chance to go third. Um, you know, we, we were in a, a pre, you know, pretty good position going into this game and we could have really um, you know, strengthened our position and we've thrown it away. And we've done that just too many times. Okay. Uh, my positive is that we actually scored three good goals and I think that's a reminder that there is a quality and an ability in this team to make things happen and usually you would expect if you score three goals from your three shots that you have you're capable of scoring more and you'll win more than you lose uh, the, the, the negative comes from what's happened after the game and it's washing your dirty linen in public once again it's, a, it's a, I use the word unedifying Earlier is another unedifying episode. Um, it, you know, it clearly points to the fact that we haven't got a situation where owners, the coach, the players and the fans are, are all working together. And in fact, it feels like they're all pulling in four very different directions. And that became really obvious in that press conference and the, the fallout that's happened since then. Yeah, my positive actually was the continuing ascendance of Pedro Porro, who I, I thought had an, uh, really, a, a, you know, looked really good uh, all game was trying to make things happen uh was looking increasingly dynamic and this is coming from you know someone who has always uh who wrote him off after two games <laughs> yes absolutely of course but who's always this is coming from someone who's always had a soft spot for emerson royale you know um so yeah well, yeah i've got previous with that if you remember i compared decky to i thought he i said uh, well the jury's out but he has got a bit of the doherty's about him meaning uh gary doherty not matt <laughs> so, i mean yeah i have previous there's no doubt um negative 
I, you know, there's so many places I could go with this and I'm going to, I'm going to, I said, express many of the negatives for me. I'll hone in on this. I think that the biggest fallout from the Conti thing goes back to, uh, you know, what I quoted SF Spur Mark Gable as saying is that it has really sort of exacerbated this. It's one thing or another, uh, you know, it's one blame or another, uh, culture that seems to be very prevalent around the the club right now and and I think that's exceptionally dangerous I really do I think you have to look at things in isolation and the the inability of people to separate what is clearly a transgression from a, the, the job description and clearly uh you know bang out of order with regards to how you perform in your job the inability to take that as a separate, you know, I think sackable offence in my case, and also recognise that the board have major issues with the way they run the football club. Uh, it's going to be a big problem for us as a club unless we're able to... Um, I, I wonder if this is an example of dialectic thinking. We need to be able to see both things at the same time. And and, and the biggest negative is it feels like increasingly the polarisation is happening. But, you know, we're into a philosophical life discussion there and we won't be getting into that. So let's hope that we can avoid as a fan base taking that path too far. Uh, shall we, uh, shall we do a run through of the, uh, the news of the week that was that's uh, well, should I kick off? Should I pick us up? Yes, the first absolutely. One? We, kick, let's take, kick off. We haven't prepared this, but should we tech team this? So I'll, I'll yeah, do the yeah, first yeah. one. You Go, for second or so on. Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So <laughs> Fraser Forster has been called up to the England squad to face Italy and Ukraine, replacing Nick Pope, who has a minor injury. I'm hoping this means we can get a return to the England's number one chance. I, I love that with Robbo. And we, d- we yeah, did it with yeah. him. We did that with him for, for a while before he actually got that shirt. So there's no reason for us to, to, to not start early with, uh, with Forster. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that the, uh, I think up at Goodison in a couple of weeks, let's hope that the away support are ready. Let's get some joy out of these last few games of the season. And who, uh, you know, what more joyful a song is there than singing England's and, number one? And I think actually, when it, like, as a fan, kind of the relationship between, you know, the fans who sit behind one of the goals and, and the keeper is a really good one. It's, yeah. I like that the interaction yeah. there when you get, you get that acknowledgement and stuff. So, yeah. Do you not I'd think like it'd to... sum up our season, though, if he actually ended up playing in one of those games and then by the time we came back again, Hugo is back and, and Fraser's back on the bench and you can't sing the song, apart from in the warm-up? Well, it's possible. You, you may be right. You may be right. But I'd, I'd, I would like to insert a, a merchandise idea. I think if ever there was a moment uh, for the return of the foam finger or the foam hand, it should be a special Fraser Forster foam finger phone life hand. Size. Can you imagine how huge life size it ones? Be? Just yeah, yeah. Size, twice the size of the normal uh, outsized American uh, merchandise item they sell at baseball. So uh, a little a little uh, tip for the commercial department there. Oh, it's my turn. <clears throat> Dean Rastrick. Football Insider reporting that Academy Manager Dean Rastrick has decided to leave the club after nearly 13 years. I don't know why I'm so upbeat reading this. <laughs> I've got an upbeat. I should be a little more downturn. Dean Rastrick has decided to leave the club after nearly 13 years for a new role at the Football Association, where he will join up again with John McDermott. It doesn't, it's not really very good, that, is it? No, I mean, I mean, 13 years at a football club in effectively an administrative position, probably quite a long time and probably good for anyone in that sort of position to look for something new and I'm sure he'll be very well looked after and respected at the FA. And it gives our new director of football a chance to shape the academy how they want to when they're appointed in the summer. Excellent. Never let it be said the Games About Glory does not find optimism in every corner. <laughs> um, 
This is something to be optimistic about because he's bloody good. Jamie Donnelly has signed a new contract with the club that will run until 2027. Jamie's also been called up to the England under, under, England under 18 squad for their friendlies against Belgium and Croatia. And uh, under 18's keeper Luca Gunter is also in the squad. Mm. As you say, Jamie Donnelly scored twice for under 18s in the 3 2 victory mm. over Arsenal yesterday. And he also turned out for the under 21s the night before. He played 15 minutes at the end of that game. So he'd played yeah. kind of. PM and then AM, <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's special, isn't he? Yeah, I've, I've seen him. I've seen him playing a few times. Really impressed by him. Um, had a couple of very, very brief conversations with him over the years as well. It seems like a really well-rounded, very, very mature lad as well. So I think he'll have all the um, sort of mental faculties to have a very good chance of making it. He's just got to be lucky now with with injuries and managers giving him a chance and potentially good loans. You could see him being promoted to the under-21s next season, couldn't you, with um, Sips of Bells due to go out on loan, I think, and a Parrot and, um, uh, yeah, I think the others will be out on loan. Yeah, so, yeah. they'll have to make a decision over Parrot and Scarlet, won't they? But yeah, it does yeah. feel like neither of them are getting any games at the moment. Mm. George Abbott, which, by the way, what a great name. What a great footballer name George Abbott is. It just, It's just such a footballer's name, isn't it? Anyway, uh, it sounds like the name of a future uh, England international to me. But uh, anyway, George Abbott has signed his first professional contract with the club. George is a 17-year-old defensive midfielder who established himself in our under-18s last season. In addition to featuring regularly for the U18s, George has made six appearances for the U21s, as well as starting five of our six games in the U19 UEFA Youth League. Again, as I just said, Anyone with as footballer a name as George Abbott deserves to play in our first team at some point. Let us hope it happens. And continuing with our very, very uh, academy-related week that was stuff, the under-18s have reached the final of the Premier League Cup with a 1-0 win over Sheffield United uh, during the week. It's nice to see one of our teams can get past the Blades in the Cup. And they they joined the under-17s, who've also made the final of the Premier League Cup in their age group. They beat Chelsea on penalties to make the final for the second year on the trot. That's mentality for you. Talking of great name oh, footballers. I know, just about to say, how good is this? Dante Casanova. That's right, Dante Casanova. This young man's parents have what I've given him this wonderful name. Under 21's midfielder, Dante Casanova, has been selected for Jamaica for their upcoming two friendlies against Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, it, I just want to say again, Dante Casanova, for no other reason than it's fun to say. It's a great name. Hey. I think there's been rumours of him leaving. I think uh, he was on loan at Derby for a while. And I think who? They've been there were rumours of who leaving? Casanova. But what, what's his full club. name? What's his full name? <laughs> Dante Casanova. <laughs> here we are. It's fun to say. It gives you all the yeah, anyway. And presumably it's going to be a do 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 Dante Casanova. I like the da da Dante Casanova. Da da. There's got to be a swing in the shoulders, hasn't it? See, we've ended this pod singing. At your insistence, Gareth. See, there's always light at the end of the Tottenham Tunnel somewhere, right? I mean, that, that we'll always find it. Life will go on. I'm feeling cheerful all of a sudden. We're going to finish in the top four. Whoever's been game for this. 14 days, have we? So that's something to be positive about. We will well. not lose next weekend. Yeah. We will not lose. We will not drop points next weekend. You see, it's all on the upbeat. It's all. I, I'm going to employ that the best Zen practice, and uh, maybe you'll join me in this, and not in closing. What has passed has passed. What has been said has been said. We are still fourth. We're still just about in control of it. Let's just get the job done, right? Mm-hmm. Can we? Yeah. Take care of Newcastle. Take care of Man United. Go up to Anfield. Get something there. Let's just take care of it. It can still be done, right? Yeah. The- <laughs> 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 <laughs>
don't, don't, don't. All right. Thanks for joining us, Chad. <laughs> oh, dear. The singer, he's, he's doubtful, but I know deep down he wants to believe. But thanks again, Chad. So it, it was a good one. It was really good. Um, Cheers. And, uh, and as as uh, as you said, uh, both said, there's no Premier League football next weekend, but we will be back as usual to chat about something uh, club related. See you then. Thank you. <laughs>